0: You're listening to the Iqra Book Festival 2021, bringing you fresh and innovative content in literature and authorship. Brought to you by the Arc and Radio Ramadan 365.
1: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Uh, welcome back uh, to the Iqra Book Festival 2021, the second festival of its kind uh, uh, hosted by the Arc. And Radio Ramadan 365, uh, we're currently on various platforms, including Facebook Live. Uh, and of course, you can catch up in any of the sessions today. We had a wonderful session just there from Sadia Dr. Sadia Muhammad, who's talking about her book, um, uh, Advice to, to Young Muslims. Um, and uh, our next session, I'm going, I'm going to move straight on uh, because we have got a jam-packed schedule, um, is uh, uh, a, very, a very interesting book and a very interesting person and a historical figure that we're going to talk about today. Uh, just to mention to all the viewers out there that uh, you uh, can find any of today's uh, um, sessions uh, on our podcast. Just search for RR365, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, you can catch up there. And please pass them on uh, to other people uh, and uh, to all the amazing content we've got on our podcasting site rr365. Um, so I'm going to introduce um, our next interviewer. We um, um, to actually introduce the next session. I won't mention who the author is. The author is someone who was on last year's panel, an amazing book that she had uh, written there. And um, uh, I'll let Jahan Mahmood uh, introduce um, our next speaker now. Jahan himself is a Birmingham-based historian. I've had the pleasure of meeting him and attending some of his sessions here in Glasgow. He specializes in the contribution of Muslims to the Second World War. Um, he's taught history at the University of Birmingham and is at present, inshallah, will be certainly be a panelist, I hope, on uh, uh, Ikhra Book Festival three with his book, um, which is on a, a really interesting topic, Jahan, Muslim boy soldiers who fought Hitler's elite units in the battlefields of Europe. Um, I'm going to actually uh, pitch a, a kind of side festival um, for the interviewers. we have got some amazing interviewers today, let alone panellists. <laughs> uh, and Jahan, alhamdulillah, top tops the list here. Uh, I, uh, I wish we had time to go into your, your up-and-coming book, but we don't have time, unfortunately. So Jahan, assalamu alaikum, and I'll pass you straight on to him to introduce our next speaker. Our next interviewee, it's Shravani Basu, who is a
2: British Indian journalist and author. Um, I've had the pleasure of talking to her on more than one occasion. And the first book that I read from Shrubani Basu was very close to my heart. It was actually The Spy Princess, this amazing story of a um, Muslim spy who is the descendant of none other than Tipu Sultan, who is born in Moscow, raised in France. And then when the Germans occupy France, she moves to Britain with her family becomes a spy is dropped off in France in very difficult territory and is eventually captured and detained at a concentration camp. And um, so that's where she sees her demise. But not once does she give up what she's doing for Britain. And her courage and bravery is very well kind of outlined by Shribani in her book. It's a fascinating book. It's one of very few books that I've actually read cover to cover. Um, I believe that um, it was published in 2006 and another book that caught my attention largely because obviously it's an area that I have focused on myself, which is the um, the British Raj is none other than Victorian outdoor. um, The true story of the Queen's confidant, who is this Indian Muslim this handsome figure who is striking and has quite an impact on Victoria. Who's going through her own, um, kind of difficult time at this moment, having lost a husband. So thank you very much for joining us, Shravani. Finally, we're here. And um, I, f- I found th- the fact that, you know, you've written this book and then it's adapted into a film and Judy Dench plays Victoria. That's actually quite a coup. So well done to you. Um, I believe that we're going to start with an excerpt if I'm right okay. from the book. So you're going to read to us for five minutes. And then we're going to, then I'm going to interrogate you about this fascinating book. So please go ahead.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Jahan. Thanks for that lovely intro. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Uh, I will start with a little extract. But before that, I'll give you the little background to who Abdul Karim is and set up the scene for you a bit. So Abdul Karim uh, is sent as a jubilee present for Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee. Uh, the year is 1887. She's the first queen to have her golden jubilee. And um, so it's very special. And because this is the time when empire, you know, it's the height of empire. Um, these two, two Indian servants are sent to her. One is Abdul Karim, the other is Muhammad Baksh. Uh, and their main role is to just stand behind her, look grand and wait at table and sort of represent empire. So this is the scene where three days into her Jubilee celebrations, she is going to meet Abdul Karim. A fine morning with a fresh air noted the queen as she looked out of her bedroom window at Windsor Castle the next day, but she was feeling very tired. It was the third day of her golden Jubilee celebrations and the monarch knew she faced another day of buntings and presentations. The queen sat lost in thought, as she was dressed by her maids. She had chosen to wear widows black ever since the death of Prince Albert in 1861. At last, she adjusted her cap and ascended into her carriage for the short drive to Frogmore with her daughter Beatrice. As they rode down the rolling green of the long walk in Windsor Park, past the rows of chestnut trees, the queen thought of the excitement of the past two days and the fireworks of the night before. Everything now seemed so still. At Frogmore House, her eldest daughter Victoria and her granddaughter Vicky were already there waiting for her. And so was a special gift from India. Abdul Karim and Muhammad Baksh, the queen's jubilee presence from India, had arrived early to wait at table. The breakfast room at Frogmore a somber place at most times, seemed to come alive with the new arrivals. Baksha's practiced elegance matched Kareem's naturally regal presence. Their clothes made them look almost princely. The queen was delighted. Dressed in striking scarlet tunics with white turbans, they approached her reverentially. The queen noted Muhammad Baksha's appearance. Very dark with a very smiling expression. She described the much younger Abdul Karim as much lighter, tall, and with a fine, serious countenance. Both servants approached her slowly. Their eyes lowered to gaze at the ground as they had been instructed to do. Then with a deep bow, Karim and Baksh bent down to kiss the queen's feet. As he rose, young Karim's dark eyes fleetingly met the queen's gaze. Suddenly, Victoria no longer felt as tired. So there we go. That's the first meeting. And as you can see, Victoria is delighted with her guests, with her new servants, you know, the Indians. Oh, I might show you have a photograph, actually. So, you know, of them dressed in their finery. I don't know if you can see them. I'm just holding this up to you from... Um, my book actually can you see that should i bring it close so that's muhammad baksh and abdul Karim. that's what they look like and uh, of course that's queen victoria there
2: can you point them out perhaps sir uh, shabani um uh, muhammad Baksh. can you just perhaps yeah, yeah. point them out
0: of course so this
2: yeah is, okay Got
0: this it. is baksh and this is uh, abdul Karim, and that's abdul Karim again um i don't know if you can see that it's a bit
2: yeah yeah excellent yeah. thank you so much <laughs> okay so um right. I mean, thank you for that introduction and that excerpt. So the question I have for you mm-hmm. is what actually got you interested in this story to begin with? What yeah. did you find fascinating about it? What drew you in?
0: Right. So basically, I had written a book, I think, um, on on the history of curries. Uh, and I, I wrote this years ago. It was published in 1999. Um, and it was... You know, a look at how curries arrived in Britain, why they became Britain's favorite dish. At that time, it was all about chicken tikka masala being the favorite dish, etc. And I knew that um, Queen Victoria was somebody who liked her curries and that she had two Indian servants. And that's all I knew. Uh, but it was on a trip to Osborne House on the Isle of Wight. And I would recommend, you know, all viewers, if you get the chance, go to Osborne House. Don't miss it. Uh, so I went to Osborne House, which was her holiday retreat. And it's kept, you know. So it's a national, it's an English heritage property now, open to the public, kept exactly as it was at the time. And uh, she made an Indian room over there. It's called the Darbar Room, which she's made Indian style. Um, And uh, so I was walking down this corridor, and I found this portrait, which um, I can hold up to you. (laughs) This portrait of Abdul Karim. It's hanging in the Darbar Hall. And I couldn't help noticing that he's, uh, he's supposed to be a servant, right? But he looks like a Nawab. I mean, look at his robes and his turban and he's holding a book. So I was really intrigued by him. Anyway, as I walked down the corridor, there were more for- portraits of him. He was looking out at me from, you know, many corners of this Darbar hall. Um, so I sort of saw that. And then I went to Queen Victoria's bedroom. And there, so she has her bed and the, there's a dressing area attached to her bedroom, like a little annex. And um, so near her dressing table, she had three photographs hanging there. So the top photograph was of um, John Brown. Now, many of you may have seen this film called Mrs. Brown, also with D- Judy Dench. So John Brown was a Scottish ghillie who became very close to Victoria after Albert's death. And he drew her out of the morning. Um, so, you know, they, they had a very controversial relationship. Uh, but then, so, Abdul, uh, John Brown was on top and below John Brown, who do I see? Well, it's our man again, it's Abdul Karim. So, there's this other portrait and, you know, the one I showed you before, actually, let me go back to it. It's this portrait of Abdul Karim that is in Osborne House, again, Uh, And this was sitting below, it's a photograph, it's below uh, John Brown. And that really got me started. I said, oh, wow, this is something, (laughs) you know, who is this guy? I need to know much more about him. So that was the start. Uh, Well, of course, it was a long journey. It took me four years to trace the whole story, because the moment I started, the first thing I discovered was that all the letters written by Queen Victoria to Abdul Karim had been burnt, so as a historian, I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, there goes my source material. What, what, where do I go now? Anyway, long story short, I went, I said, go right to the top, go to Windsor Castle, read the Queen's journals. So I applied, I read her journals. I read her Hindustani journals, which are her journals in Urdu, which nobody knew and nobody had opened ever. They had been closed for hundred years. And so again, as I said, cut a long story short, there were several sources That's what started me. And then I followed the story for four years and eventually found Abdul Karim's own diary in Karachi, kept by his family. And that was like, you know, the whole circle came together and I could piece the story and publish it.
2: (laughs) That's a fascinating story. What I'm also interested in is, could you give us a little background? Because we obviously know and we are able to, you know, research and look into Queen Victoria's past there's plenty of information about that what kind of family was um, Abdul coming from so in terms of the class the caste the heritage the brother can you perhaps break that down because here's a young man Mm -hmm. who literally leaves his home Mm -hmm. and then ends up in the Queen's Court which is quite a massive transition and it would have had a massive impact on his psyche and the transformation that ensued so perhaps if you could give us a background on him to begin with
0: Yep. So basically, Abdul Karim was a really ordinary, you know, uh, man. He was a clerk in Agra jail. And uh, he, uh, you know, he had to just make entries in the ledger. He It was a very, very, uh, you know, not even a middle class. That's a very ordinary family. Right. So and his father also worked in Agra jail. And he was uh, what is an apothecary. So he would give, administer small, you know, small doses of medicines, herbs, whatever, to people. So father had got, you know, Abdul Karim into the same jail, as happens. And so Abdul Karim would go there. But Abdul had a very fine eye for, you know, beautiful things and objects. Now, Agra jail used to make, the prisoners would make carpets. And uh, these carpets, you know, so this happened from Mughal times. So Akbar had imported these Persians would come and they would they were craftsmen they started making these beautiful uh, agra carpets are famous uh, so they were making these carpets and when it was the queen's jubilee was coming up uh, uh abdul karim he chose this carpet to send to the queen you know just to help the superintendent of the jail who wanted to send her a present he chose these carpets he chose a kara, a gold you know a kara is like a bracelet he chose a beautiful gold bracelet with um, elephants and he sent these two gifts were sent from the superintendent to the queen and she was delighted so you know the superintendent noticed that this guy is quite useful he is uh, he has a good eye he looks good he's tall you know he's somebody who could stand there so he was chosen but as I said his background is very humble very ordinary and um, you know suddenly he's chosen to go travel abroad and go to the queen's jubilee He had no idea, you know, what was going to lie ahead.
2: (laughs) Well, so we have a question that's come in, Shravani: Is that could Queen Victoria, could she speak and write Urdu?
0: So really interesting. Um, She learned, thanks to Abdul Karim. She was so taken up with Abdul. She wanted to speak to him in his language and she wanted to learn. She was actually a really curious person. She wanted to know more about India. Not just the view that was given to her by her viceroys and, you know, the other sort of officials. She wanted something from the real, you know, the heat and dust of India. And Abdul was like a son of the soil. He is an ordinary man telling her what happened in Agra, telling her about the Taj Mahal. So she started entering this different world. You know, he cooked her a curry and she says it's excellent and orders that curries are cooked every day in the royal kitchens. Nobody knew that actually every day in Victoria's days, there is a curry cooked every day and laid out. So she's entering a new world. And now, of course, she wants to learn the language. And it's, you know, she's in her 70s. So, you know, hats off to her. It's a different script. So who does she want, you know, to teach her? It's Abdul Karim and she starts learning Urdu, she has. So when I looked at these Hindustani journals, as they're called, they're kept in the archives in Windsor Castle. Okay. I thought that, you know, she might have wanted to say a few words here and there phrases, you know, Shukriya or something like that, and learned a few things. Oh my, and I thought it might be a little exercise book. So when I asked to see her, her Urdu journals, the, the archivist wheeled in a trolley and there were 13 volumes in there. And I said, oh, my God. Oh, wow. So every day, every day it is dated and the place is there. She is taking her Urdu lessons. It was amazing. And, you know, like she's going on holiday. So it's like, um, it's uh, the Albert um, shop, uh, the ship, sorry. So she's on the uh, Prince Albert ship. She is going to Balmoral. She's in the summer house in Balmoral. So every place is dated and I can see that there are hotels in Europe, she's still having her lesson, she's going to Scotland, she's having her lesson and then I learned that even when the Munshi is ill, she doesn't want to miss her lesson, you know, he has a fever, probably a bit like you Jahan at this stage, (laughs) (laughs) but she goes, she takes her box and her her diary, she goes to his house, she mops his brow, puts it on this cushion and she has her lesson. And of course, how do we know this? It's because all her staff are gossiping, because this yes. is not what a queen, <laughs> empress of India, should be doing. She should not be going to visit this ordinary man and you know uh sit so, in his house. So that so is seems how like, she yeah.
2: So it seems like Shravani he had quite a massive impression on the queen. And at the height of British, so that the zenith of the British Empire, oh. when we have an empire that ultimately feels that it has a God-given right to rule another nation Mm -hmm. by colour, by creed, Mm -hmm. by even, you know, um, the idea that they are a a better race, Mm -hmm. is what kind of impact is that going to be having on the Queen's court? Knowing all of this, Mm -hmm. we are ruling these people. And then from among these people, there's a young Muslim man who seems to have the Queen's ear.
1: Absolutely.
2: that must have been that must have had quite an impact on the rest of the court. So perhaps you could elaborate and explain how the rest of the kind of
0: mm-hmm. the
2: native elements of the court were feeling towards Abdul.
0: Yeah, well, there's only one word to describe it they hated him, they oh, wow. absolutely hated him. They hated the fact that Queen Victoria was so close to this young Indian man who was a nobody. Um, You know, maybe if he'd been a prince, they would have tolerated him if he'd come with his, you know, three string pearls and, you know, a sort of jewel turban, they might have tolerated him. But the fact that he was nothing. So it wasn't just the race thing, it was also the class thing, you know, all her Mm -hmm. households consist of people who are from the aristocracy. They're all, you know, her maids and her ladies in waiting. They're all ladies. (laughs) They're all, they're all from, you know, from the aristocracy. So, all of them, they just hate him. Uh, her family, her son hates him because suddenly here is this boy taking all his time. The daughters hate him, <laughs> the household hate him. And when I was researching my book, it was very important for me to go into all their diaries and see what they have to say about Abdul Karim. And uh, it is actually really shocking the way they talk about him. You know, they call all the Indians the Black Brigade. <laughs> Um, They refer to him as the M, he's always called the M was here and you know it's very sarcastic and then when he brings his family it's like oh the M has brought his father, the father wants to see the jails, may he remain there, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Father was taken to Edinburgh and he wanted to see the the prisons in Edinburgh and the hospitals and they are so sarcastic because you know he's hosted by the Queen and he's hosted and kept in various places the, the father, when he comes visiting, is the only one allowed to smoke a hookah, you know, the, the water pipe, the shisha pipe, uh, in Windsor Castle. And the queen, you know, she hated uh, smoking. So all the men had to go, all the gentlemen had to go to the smoking room. And here she gives permission to this um, you know the father to come and smoke his hookah. So all the privileges, he had a carriage, he had houses given to him. Every privilege is hated by the household. And she says he can join the household. So the household, he can be at dinner with the household. The very idea that this ordinary fellow is going to sit at table with them and share a meal was absolutely abhorrent. So they try every trick in the book to get rid of him. They accuse him of theft. They accuse him. They say he must be a spy. He's a Muslim. He must be a spy for Afghanistan. He must be this. He must be that. And all these stories and rumors are fed. And they, when he goes to India, they follow, they have him followed by a department called the Thagi and Dakoiti Department. And they follow him for six months. They find nothing because obviously he's done nothing. And uh, well, they just can't nail anything on him. And so these two continue, you know, Queen Victoria and Abdul, they continue from... Golden Jubilee, he, he lives there for 13 years till she dies. So, you know, Golden Jubilee to Diamond Jubilee, he gets more and more powerful. She promotes him to be her Munshi, mm-hmm. her teacher. So he's given this rank now and he's called Hafiz Munshi Abdul Kareem. So <laughs> he's uh, he's given titles. His chest is full of like medals of every sort, you know, CIE, Commander of the Indian Empire, something else. And some star. Uh, and he's well, he's just loving it. <laughs> and why wouldn't he? He was 24 years old. He's like a rock star who suddenly landed up, you know. <laughs> guy, and the queen just adores him. So you know, mm. who can blame?
2: So him? I just want, I just wanted to um, point out to the audience members. Please feel free to ask questions. We are coming towards the end of the session. Um, so another question for you, Shrabani is what kind of relationship? Mm-hmm did it emerge into between the queen and Abdul? So it starts off, you know, as he is just there for a short while, if I believe, and he's just there as part of the the glitz and the glamour. And then eventually he becomes someone who is so influential and powerful in a way, because he has the queen's ear, but how does she refer to him mm-hmm through the research that you've done. So what kind of phrases of endearment Mm -hmm. um, are you finding in your research and that you put in your book in the end?
0: Yeah, well, she, it's, it's a relationship that to me, I see it as working at different levels. So at one level, he's her closest friend. She confides in him. She confides in him about her family and her troublesome children, everything. So he knows, you know, everything that's going on in her mind. And, the same time he's like a son to her you know Mm -hmm. so that relationship she is old she is now in her well in her late 70s and uh, this young boy is still in his 20s so he's like a son and also he's a friend he's a son but the third thing is that it's also very important if you remember the extract I read when she has two Mm -hmm. of them presented and Muhammad Baksh is just described as very dark and smiling and that's it you know (laughs) he's Mm -hmm. dismissed She chooses the person she sees as, you know, tall, fair, handsome, and she's describing him. So clearly, the physical aspect of Abdul Karim is also important. And it's important, you know, John Brown, as I noticed, John Brown was six feet tall. Um, Abdul Karim is six feet tall. I think Queen Victoria liked to have a strong, tall man standing next to her, uh, sort of protecting her. I think she liked that feeling. So I think the, the physical is also very important. Um, was
2: her husband tall, Bertie? Was he a tall man?
0: He was okay. He wasn't that tall. <laughs> but oh, right.
1: okay. uh,
0: I mean, she adored Bertie, of course. So that is, he is the first love. And you know his mm-hmm. photo, his big portrait hangs above her bed in Osborne. But um, it's these are two other men who really played a very important role in her life. John Brown yeah. and then Abdul Karim. And Mm -hmm. I think my theory is that when she was so depressed for her golden jubilee, she didn't even want to celebrate it. Um, uh, She would not have survived to see a diamond jubilee and, you know, achieve everything. And I think just having Abdul in her life, it just gave her a new lease of life. Yeah, so it was
2: like the spark that her soul needed at that moment.
0: yeah, Yeah, absolutely. He gave her, because you just imagine, she's sitting there surrounded by these dull courtiers who talk endlessly about state affairs. Suddenly, there's a bit of color, right? He brings this (laughs) color from India. He's giving her these stories, romantic stories of Agra, how Shah Jahan built this mausoleum for his wife, you know, who died. And Victoria, you know, she's a sucker for these beautiful (laughs) love stories. She loves them. You know, she loved her husband. She built a mausoleum for him. She's also going to lie in that same mausoleum in Tromor with him. So all these stories, the color, the she starts taking an active interest, even politically, she takes an active interest and in, well, you know, the more details in the book, which we can't go into just now. She writes to the Viceroy about various things, about riots that happen, Hindu-Muslim riots in Agra. Mm-hmm. Abdul Karim tells her about them. Suddenly, she's taking an interest. Why, why are these processions, you know, the... Hindu procession goes out at the same time as another procession and they clash and she says, why are these happening? Why can't we postpone this festival, the Hindu festival? Uh, And it's quite amusing because the Viceroy writes back that, uh, he says, Hindus have so many festivals. Why can't we just postpone this one? Uh, <laughs> and she, the Viceroy writes back to her and he says that that would be like postponing Christmas, you know, it doesn't oh, wow. happen. So she's very naive right. in many ways, but uh, uh-huh. you can see her involvement in India. And it's all thanks to Abdul Karim. I mean,
2: it's, it's interesting because Victoria, just to point out to the audience members who are not aware, is the Empress of India, but has never visited India. And her only window into India is this son of India called Abdul, who then elaborates and paints a fascinating picture of a country that she is literally the monarch of, but has never quite gone out to. So I think this is a very important question. And uh, certainly it piqued my interest. And I know that a number of people probably want to ask it and have not put it out. So please, audience members, please, if there are any more questions, Please feel free to put them out. So, why is this story relevant Uh to modern Britain today and perhaps the story of the monarchy? What parallels can we draw? Uh And perhaps if you could touch on that for us, please.
0: Right. So, two things. So, the first thing is, of course, he was a Muslim, he was a young Muslim, and the resentment against this person was like really striking. It's like, you know, what's changed? There is so much suspicion mm-hmm. of Muslims, you know, there is, it, it just carries on, it, that bit hasn't changed. And then I look at the royal household, um, so the treatment hasn't changed and the suspicion, you know, people's views haven't changed. Um, yeah. And I also find that, I mean, she learned Urdu in the, you know, over 100 years ago. Uh, how have the royal family, you know, now adapted to such a changing world, you know, who speaks the different languages like uh, Victoria did? Uh, is there any, how many ethnic minorities do we see in the royal household? None, right? I mean, not not any that are visible to us, there may be some around, but we don't see anybody uh, prominently. Um, this Jab Abdul Karim was at the heart of the household. It's unbelievable that a young Um, you know Indian Muslim is at the heart of Queen Victoria's household at the time the empire is at its height and then of course there's so many parallels you see that you know the moment there is um, you know and I'll come to Meghan and Harry the moment we have uh, a black mixed race woman uh, marrying into royalty my goodness the initial you know euphoria goes and they finally have to just leave the country And it is this intense racism that you still see today um, that, you know, happened to Abdul at that time. These lords and ladies, one of them would write that she would shudder every time Abdul walked past her. Um, They refer to him in the worst possible terms. Uh, And you see that sort of hate spewing out in many of the right-wing media. I mean, finally, you know, these two had to leave. And the other uh, thing that really struck me, a parallel, uh, was that they were given, when they were going to live here, they had chosen to live in Frogmore House, uh, sorry, in Frogmore Cottage, and which is in the estate just near Windsor Castle. And it was given to them by the queen. And the parallel is that when Abdul came, uh, he was given uh, Frogmore uh, Frogmore Cottage by Queen Victoria, and that's where he lived. Uh, But it also had a very dark past because the moment Queen Victoria died, his protector had gone, his letters were burnt outside Frogmore Cottage. So for me, that when they chose to live there, I just felt this feeling of, oh my God, this is where Abdul Karim lived. This there is a parallel here. And then sadly, they left. Up, they had to leave Frogmore Cottage, and Abdul Karim was given his marching orders. He was sent back to Agra. It was like he was deported, you know, out. His letters were burnt, and he was erased from history. And you just find things still happening in different ways, but there is mm-hmm. that. Underlying current of racism and.
2: Um... So what what happens to, um, Abdul, who's built this fascinating relationship with the Empress of India, with the Queen, mm-hmm. and he goes back home quite demoralized and humiliated, and okay. almost like this forced deportation, and yeah. he has to somehow disconnect from a place that he's called his home for so long what kind of impact did it have on him for the remainder of his life and how long did he continue to live for before
1: mm-hmm. and did
2: it strike do you believe it, it it kind of had a major impact on him after he leaves
0: oh absolutely so he's sent away like a common criminal this is the man who was you know with, at queen victoria's side all the time traveled with her to europe had his special carriage his coach next to the Queen's, you know, everything had three houses given to him, a house built for him by Victoria. I mean, it doesn't get bigger than that. And then he's sent away like a petty thief, like a common criminal, and his letters are burnt. And so he's humiliated. You can't live that down. So he returns to Agra. He lives a very quiet life. Um, he doesn't speak. I think it, the heart must have been so much that he didn't really write about what happened to him there. He doesn't speak about it much. Uh, and he just, you know, obviously he praises Queen Victoria, and he gets on with his life. Um, he used to go to the statue; they unveil a the statue of Queen Victoria near the Taj Mahal in the in the gardens near Taj. And well, I have heard from his family that he would actually go there every day, which is really sad, and visit it every day. And he mm-hmm. dies within eight years. He's a young man; he had no problems. He's physically fine, no illness. So I think he just died heartbroken and just felt you know, that this, he was wealthy because she had given him lots of property. So it wasn't that he died poor. He died very wealthy, but he died heartbroken because of the treatment. I think he couldn't, he couldn't let that down. Oh,
2: wow. That's fascinating. Thank you so much, Rabani, um, for for being with us today and for elaborating on your book. And I believe you have a new one that's out now. So that should be interesting as well. What's that called? Just... uh,
0: I do. Yeah, well, let me plug it. It's called The Mystery of the Parsi Lawyer. And again, it's a true, true story. It's about yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle. So all Sherlock Holmes fans, you will want to read this. And the, yeah. only, um, the only mystery that the creator of Sherlock Holmes actually takes on himself and investigates personally is to do with this young Birmingham-based uh, lawyer, Parsi. He's a Parsi uh, oh, wow. called George Adalji. And he investigates this right. case and it changes law and things. So it's very, very fascinating. So a bit That's of brilliant. true crime and a bit of adventure there. Oh, it's a very different thank story. You. But again, well, thank you secure with, yeah, the empire and yeah. its impact. <laughs>
2: well, I believe we, we've come to the end of the session. I hope the audience members um, were intrigued by this story. I certainly was. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining us today and all the very best with um, the books and the the research that you do in the future, wherever it may be. Thank so you. thank you so much, Shrobani. I think that's the end of the session now. Over <laughs> to Sajid, if I'm correct.
0: Thank you. <laughs> thank
1: you. As-sal-akam, everybody. Um, uh, thank you very much, Shabani for coming on again. Uh, it's, it's great to see you uh, for a second year uh, in a row with uh, an, an even more interesting subject, uh, uh, or just as interesting, I should say, as, as last year. Um, uh, last year, Jahan um, Shivani discussed her book, um, uh, The, the uh, Spy Princess um so so yes um very interesting facts here we've had a, one or two comments one i want to mention is that uh, someone was was saying that um that uh, they were really interested in seeing the original photographs that you that you put up there from on your from mm-hmm. from the book mm-hmm. um and you mentioned there and sort of this of undignified way that um uh, uh, you know the one she was kind of kicked or kicked out of his house mm-hmm. and I, I believe that a lot of his um you know, effects and personal personal letters that from, from the queen were, were, were burned or, or destroyed. Mm-hmm. How, how easy was it for you to then follow up then and, uh, and uh, um, you know, to try and research that information and find information mm-hmm. on this man?
0: Yeah, it That's wasn't cool. easy. So as I said, I went to Windsor Castle. I read her her journals. Mm-hmm. I read her Hindustani journals. And then I read the diaries and journals and letters of all the members of the household, especially her doctor. Uh, Dr. James Reed because he kept detailed notes and you read you know all the confusion that the Munshi is causing is in his journals and they're private. So I went to see the family in Scotland, his descendants and I read these journals which are a major source of the book and then of course I found Abdul Karim's diary, personal Mm -hmm. diary in Karachi and that sort of you know completed the circle. So Plus there were archives in the British Library, Victoria's Letters to the Viceroy's, everything that's going on, the intrigues and the thing. You know, you have to read the book to see it. And the book also has a lot of uh, original photographs. So uh, you can see all the photographs in the book, uh, many more, and you, know, you can see them in a better state than uh, me holding yes. it up for the screen. Uh, so the book is available,
1: of course, on Amazon. Yeah, we put we put a link up uh, to everybody that the uh-huh. book is available uh-huh. on Amazon. Uh, but it's probably quite widely available now, isn't it? I guess it's. On, it's it's available well. in
0: bookstores as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you and yeah. there's bookshop.org, which is another website. I noticed some people saying we don't want to order through Amazon. Yes, we
1: had that today that. already. So.
0: yeah, So go to bookshop.org. Ask for Victoria and Abdul. And also the film is showing on Netflix now. So those who have seen it can go see it on Netflix as <laughs> so, you know, you get both sides. You get
1: the book and you can watch the film. <laughs> Great. Uh, and uh, on that point, it should be very interesting that obviously um, uh, the, the, this subject was taken up in, in, in uh, a relatively recent film. And of course, uh, your your other book, uh, Spy Princess, uh, the, the, the Life of Noor Khan, was covered, uh, I think, amongst a couple of other spies just mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. What, what, one or two years ago mm-hmm. um, in, in, in a, f- a film which I saw. How easy is that process of being involved in uh, um, adaptation to, towards the, the, the big screen or small screen?
0: Right. Well, I don't do much. So they approach me and they want to adapt my book. So that's a nice bit. Uh, but then I'm also a consultant. So with Victorian Abdul, mm-hmm. which is the only film, uh, only, you know, a book of mine that was made into a film so far. Uh, Spy Princess is in the running, but it will take some time. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I was a consultant and I advised on the script, uh, you know, told the director what he wanted to know, what Abdul was like, and then images of, for the costumes, you know, I just gave them images of 19th century, what Muslims wore, the sort of turbans, the nose rings, uh, street scenes from Agra. So I gave them original pictures, then what prisoners wore in Agra, you know, in Agra jail, you see a Bollywood film and they'll wear anything, right? I mean, they just wear some striped kurta pajama and think that's a prison uniform. It wasn't. It was So I went to the British Library and actually got out photos of 19th century prisons and I gave them the actual photographs. So if you see the film, those are rep, you know, replicated from actual photographs of prisoners in Agra jail. They don't look anything like what you've seen in Bollywood films uh, because this is the actual stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, um. it's very different and it was very detailed. But it was also quite exactly. fun because, you know, you had Judi Dench. You had, <laughs> yes, I mean, it was just lovely. We did all the red carpets and went, you know, and lived my family's oh, life goodness. for three weeks. <laughs> and then back, back to Ten normal. 10 seconds of shame, so, indeed. Yeah.
1: Uh, Lovely. That's, it's lovely to hear from you again uh, this year. Thank you so much. Uh, and very much look forward. Uh, you say that the, um, the, the princess, uh, uh, spy I princess bet. will be... Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hoping to try and get that adapted to a yeah. drama or to- yeah
0: television series so oh wow
1: okay so that sounds amazing it
0: well, fingers crossed you know all these yes. things are very long so yes
1: yeah. i am well aware of that there's the, the media involved with but uh uh, we hope and um, pray that, uh, that that comes off it'd be amazing to see her uh, uh, on, on, screen. On, on, yeah. on screen and also across a series which you can get more depth etc so look forward to that but also the new book um, and we'll put up that link if it was, was it bookshop.org that people bookshop.org yeah you can bookshop. go to bookshop.org if you don't like it it
0: Smith or you know any of the bookshops yeah. online you should be able to get a delivery or just go to the bookshop and ask for it so yeah lovely.
1: <laughs> thank you once again Shibani, uh, for coming on and uh, we look forward to, to seeing you Hopefully, God willing, next year uh, on the Hikrub Festival 3. Uh, But thank you once again. Uh, We're going going to take a a quick break, uh, uh, the word from uh, uh, our sponsors, and then we'll be straight back uh, on the next session.
2: Thank you so much, and have a great festival. Thank you. For more podcasts, search for RR365 wherever you get your podcasts.